us live. So you might as well start and we'll see if Sergio. Okay. Uh, this is, this is so again, he's like, Psalm 119, verse 49. Uh, Matic, like a pickaxe, who cut nourished. Remember your word to your servant, for you have given me hope. My comfort in my suffering is this. Promise preserves my life. The arrogant mock me without restraint, but I do not turn from the law. And remember your ancient law. So, indignation grips me because of the wicked who have forsaken me. Your decrees are the, the theme of my song wherever I lie. In the night, I remember your name, O Lord. This has been my practice. I obey your precepts. Oh, good. Okay, we'll read that in a second. There was. I think just one prayer request is, oh, no, I, two, I got to praise Doug, who we've been praying for all week. He banged his head really badly, and our friend in Ireland, he uh, he's doing okay. I talked to him this morning, and he's doing okay, so we're thankful to the Lord for that. And then I got an email this afternoon about Steve Gufanti, and then I emailed his wife, Maureen, who they were here during the lockdown, because their church cowardly closed. So they came here for several months, and the poor guy's in the hospital. I don't know if he's got the flu or COVID or whatever. He's got something, and and uh, he's he's struggling through the breathing part of it right now. His wife has whatever he has, and but she's got a you know a moderately high temperature, but she's she's okay and better today. So we want to keep Steve and Maureen in prayer and thank the Lord for uh, for uh, Doug's head being better. He, Get a good whack on your head, and sometimes, you know, it takes a while to get those things back into shape. Let's see. Today is August 5th. They abandoned their war hero. Charles Gordon was born in 1833 to a large military family in Victorian England. At the age of 16, he went to military school. Although he showed promise as a soldier, he was also independent and rebellious, often exhibiting a short fuse toward authority figures. Consistent with his fiercely independent personality, young Gordon was not a fan of organized religion and refused to be confirmed. However, from the time he was a boy, he always believed that the Bible was true and that every human event was preordained by God. These two beliefs were to be foundational for him throughout life. In 1854, during his second, <laughs> excuse me, military assignment, after being, after becoming a second lieutenant in the Royal Engineers, he became friends with his captain, who was a Christian. Captain Drew gave him Andrew Bonar's memoir of Robert Murray Mechon and other Christian books. Through Captain Drew and the books he read, Charles Gordon passed from death to life. For 30 years, he dedicated his life to serving his country, working his way up to general. Gordon possessed bravery, wisdom, and intensity unlike others. He was widely decorated for his role in military operations in Armenia, the Crimea, China, and throughout Central Africa. Gordon's next spiritual step came in the mid-1860s. His good friend, Mrs. Freeze, recalls how he discovered what he called the secret. While dressing rather listlessly before dinner, his eye fell on an open Bible on the table and on these words, Whoever confesseth that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. Suddenly it flashed upon him that he had found a jewel of priceless value. He had found what alone could satisfy him, 
oneness with God. Henceforth, that was the key to his whole life after, and he wondered he had never seen it before. He wondered far more than anyone could read such words and be indifferent to them, and he now tried to make them known to as many as he could. Gordon had always had a burden for the poor, but after realizing his secret, he spent as much time as he could with the poor and the sick. He shared the gospel with as many people as would listen. In April of 1884, while in the Sudan, defending the city of Khartoum against the Mahdi Muslims, Gordon found himself surrounded by the enemy. He repeated His repeated requests for reinforcement fell on deaf ears. With few men... Re- With few men or resources, he masterfully maintained the morale of his troops while holding off the enemy. Back in Britain, popular opinion was that the government should send Gordon more reinforcements. Finally, on August 5th of of 1884, Prime Minister Gladstone authorized a little money for relief operations for General Gordon. When the relief force finally arrived in Khartoum in January, there were 60 hours too late. After a 317-day siege, Khartoum had fallen and Gordon was dead. Gordon's last letter to his sister said, I am quite happy, thank God, I have tried to do my duty. His diary ended on the same day with, I have done the best for the honor of my country. Goodbye. When the news of Gordon's death reached England, there was an outburst of public grief. It was internationally acknowledged that the world had lost a hero. A national day of mourning was held for him, and a monument was erected. Loved and respected not only for his military accomplishments, but also for his unique character, Gordon was dominated by his simple yet unshakable Christian faith. Lord Tennyson wrote his epitaph, Warrior of God, man's friend, not here below, but somewhere dead, yes, somewhere dead far in the waste Sudan. Thou livest in all hearts, for all men know this earth hath born no simpler, nobler man. General Charles Gordon trusted God in every circumstance, no matter how hopeless. He was able to rest in the knowledge that God was in control, and he could be trusted implicitly. To what extent do circumstances affect your faith in God? And 1 Corinthians 13:7, love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. That's a sad thing to read. A guy had his trust in God, and he also had his trust in his nation, and his nation let him down, but the Lord never will. Um, We'll go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the chance to come here and to share in your word and to share in the glory who is Christ and who has been heralded by many great people over the past two millennia, including that man there. He knew who his Savior is, and so he is with the redeemed of the Lord when the uh, call will be made to bring us all home to you. And so until that day, uh, he's resting, he's having his peaceful sleep. And Lord, we certainly pray for the people that, uh, uh, what's it, uh, Steve and Maureen Gufanti, who have um, whatever, a flu or something else. And uh, we pray that they'll be okay and get better and better each day. And we thank you for having heard the prayers for Doug and that he's doing better. And it was good to hear his voice today. And Uh, So we just thank you for the chance to uh, lift him up in praise. And Lord, we ask that uh, this study would be something that would be a blessing to you. And if something is incorrect or taught incorrectly, that that would be brought to us so that we could find out the truth of uh, what was in error so that we would not pass something on that is, you know, contrary to what you would intend. 
Lord, we thank you for the chance to be here, and we certainly thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So here I was, I was reading that, and let me pull something up. I got to get the internet, and I've got to do a, a real quick search. Don't want to spend all day on this, but um, uh, let's see here. C O N S T I T U Constitution. What's that? Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll mention that in a minute. Yeah, I'll mention that in a minute. Let's see here. Um, uh, okay, um, we have, I, I was thinking of that while reading about that guy, because here he was a faithful Christian, and the whole nation mourned when he died, knowing that he was a faithful Christian, implying that a lot of people there accepted the Christian faith. And nowadays, if somebody like him died in, um, uh, in England, half of the nation or more would just spit on his grave and say, well, he was disgusting. And, you know, they probably torn down the statue that was built to him during the uh, BLM things last year. And uh, so I wanted to read something to you that goes along the same lines as that. After talking to Doug this morning, he told me something that I did not know, is that there's only one constitution of a nation on the planet where that nation is dedicated to Jesus. Okay. And obviously, he's in Ireland, so I'm speaking of Ireland. Their constitution was written in 1937. Now, listen to this, and I'll tell you something. This is the preamble 1937. to the... 1937. This is the preamble to the constitution of the nation of Ireland. In the name of the Most Holy Trinity, from whom is all authority, and to whom, as our final end, all actions, both of men and states, must be referred. We, the people of Erie, which I guess is Ireland, humbly acknowledging all our obligations to our divine Lord Jesus Christ, who sustained our fathers through centuries of trial, gratefully remembering their heroic and unremitting struggle to regain the rightful independence of our nation and seeking to promote the common good with due observance of prudence, justice, and charity so that the dignity and freedom of the individual may be assured true social order attained, the unity of our country restored, and concord established with other nations do hereby adopt and act and give to ourselves this constitution. Hmm. Okay? Their estimate, he and his wife, their estimate is that there are fewer than 10,000 true Christians left in that nation. You talk about squandering a heritage. You talk about this guy that did noble things in the name of the Lord for his country. You talk about a country established on the principles of Christ, an entire country. And there's that few people that they, they believe probably have a true faith in Christ. You squander your heritage, one lack of teaching your child at a time, one lack of being sure to be faithful to the calling which you've been called. And that pertains to every single person here. Every one of us has a responsibility, not to, just to ourselves, but to our wives, our children, and our grandchildren. And if we don't uphold that, it will be lost in our family. It'll be lost to the next generation. Uh, faith in Christ is not congenital. So please remember that. And as Burke was saying, yesterday I, I was so upset at what's going on in our own nation that I came in here and filmed a midweek CG report. And so if you haven't watched it and you'd like to see it, it's a little different than most reports, but it's something that I think that you would probably benefit from understanding the situation that's going on in the nation right now and why it is happening. And I gave my reason, and I know it's the correct reason. It, I just deal with one issue during the report. But if you have not watched that, you can go to either YouTube or Rumble, and you can 
watch the uh, the midweek CG report, and you know, I just there was too much to put in on Sunday because we'd be at two hours just on the report, and I don't want to do that to anybody. And uh, so I you know I try to keep the the time in the church very precise every week so that people aren't burdened with you know something that uh, I don't know what that is some little critter walking around on my notes. Anyway, there you go with that. So you got to report if you want it and. Remember the lesson that I just read you from the Constitution of the Nation of Ireland, a completely secular society within less than 100 years. There you go. It seems like it's just too early for them. I mean, too late for that, that to be their country's... Well, no, they, they, that was their re-establishment, and that's what they were saying in the preamble. That they Yes, after being... Yes, it's not the original Ireland from 15 billion years ago, yeah. and these, these people walking around in their kilts and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's Scotland. Northern, Northern Ireland, Ireland, England, Scotland, yeah. all these different little things that have been going on. Yes, 1937. But in that short of amount of time, they have squandered their heritage. We need to be on the ball in our, not just in our nation, but in our family lives. If you have a son or a daughter that is not living for the Lord, it is your responsibility to continue to talk to them about the Lord. That is your responsibility. I don't care if they're they're 35 years old or 50 years old, that is your responsibility, to continue to harp on them. If they know what your values are and they are not following them, that is your job. That is our job for our grandchildren, because sometimes our parents are too busy doing their own thing. And the grandparent may have more effect in a kid's life than anybody else. So I would implore you, not just here in the class, anybody, that you would get out there and you would hand out tracts to people, that you would tell people about your faith. Don't be meek. I can't do it. I've never done it, and so I don't know what to do. Don't make excuses. Just tell people about the Lord because these, these heritages of ours are being squandered away because of our unwillingness to stand up to what's morally wrong and to do what's morally right. Okay, we got to go on. Ephesians 4.13, yeah. but go back wherever you want. We'll start at the beginning of the paragraph. In brackets, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly region? And he who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. End of bracket. 11. It was he who gave some to, the, to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. 13. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Okay, this one's a little different. Until we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Okay, I just thought of something. I want to qualify this so that you don't blow it with your family. There are certain family members that are not saved, and you don't want to harp on them. That's You've told them the gospel, and all you're going to do is alienate them further if you harp on them. You want to continue to pray for them. That's your strongest tool that you have is praying for lost family members, and you can also be subtle about doing things without harping on them. Okay, and so you don't want to alienate people further from Christ. You've already told them about them. I'm talking about the believer, the son or the daughter or the brother that believes and is just falling away. You need to harp on them. That's your job. But somebody that isn't saved, all you can do is tell them about the Lord and then let some other force work on them because otherwise you're just going to alienate them. And that is a very strong 
uh, possibility in people's lives. Do not harp on people that are not saved. It, it's it's a way of chasing people away. And so I, I want to make sure that people know that it's good to keep, you know, keeping the example you are. Don't let your morals go down. But at the same time, you know, you've said what you've said and just more than anything, pray. I mean, that's the Lord tells us to pray. That's what we do. And he will send the right person at the right time, and hopefully there will be a response. He's not going to go in there and make that person believe in him. That's not going to happen. I, I'm sorry, Calvinists, if you're listening. That doesn't happen, okay? But he does make things happen in people's lives. I know that if we pray for that, he will send the right circumstances to at least try to bring those people. And he knows if it's going to work or not, but he will respond to your prayers, guaranteed. The Lord does not uh, you know, not, not respond to your prayers. In one way or another, he does respond. Okay, um, 14, uh, 413. The intent of the several offices previously noted was that they were given to accomplish specific tasks until we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. The words unity of the faith are given not concerning unity of doctrine, but of the act of belief. That is the unity of faith. It is the faith which is referred to. The work of those mentioned in verse 11 is given for bringing people into the faith. Verse 11 said, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, and then for the equipping of the saints, etc. So that would be a doctrinal part right there, but the faith itself is in verse 11. Okay, I went into 12 and I went a little too far. But anyway, um, uh, bringing people into the faith. It is also to bring them to the knowledge of the Son of God. Nobody's going to get saved unless they have the knowledge of the Son of God. Once again, we're not Calvinists here. We believe that we have to go out and tell people about the saving wonders of Jesus Christ. We have to send missionaries over the, uh, over the waters and around the world to get people to understand that there is a Savior out there. Okay, this is our responsibility, and however you pursue that responsibility, whether it's, you know, just telling people at uh, Outback Steakhouse, or if it's, uh, you know, funding a missionary over in Papua New Guinea, or whatever, that's how this message gets out. He is trusting in his creatures, his saved creatures, to continue to bring that message to the world. Once again, lost heritage, Ireland, look at their constitution. There had to be people in that country that agreed with it, or they would have overthrown that constitution within the first year. Sure. If they disagreed with it, they would have said, you know, here's another one, uh, Tennessee, right? Constitution of Tennessee. When they first wrote it, you could not be one of two offices and uh, uh, two positions uh, in life, two moral positions in life, and hold public office. In the constitution, still on the books in the constitution, it may be a lined out one, but it always remains there. I don't know if it's been retracted, but it always remains in there, and you can go read it. What are the two moral positions that may not hold public office in the state of Tennessee? You cannot be a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you cannot be an atheist. Those are the two things that were forbidden. An atheist because he is unqualified morally to guide and rule people within the state, and a pastor because his duties, they say, are higher than should be taken away from him to be dropped down to the level of a politician. Now imagine them putting that, and that's Charlie Garrett paraphrase because I don't remember the exact wording, but that's right in their constitution. You want to read another constitution that was unbelievably grounded on Jesus Christ. What is the most immoral 
state on the east coast of the United States of America, probably in the entire nation, Massachusetts. Go read their constitution. Read the beginning of it. Pages about the responsibility to the Lord, okay? We're squandering our heritage, and this all starts right here, not doing what the Bible tells us to do, okay? It is of special note that the term son of God is used rather than son of man. Christ accomplished the work in his humanity, but it is in the knowledge that he is the son of God upon which our faith is dependent. If Christ were only a man, he would have inherited Adam's sin through his father, but he is fully God and no sin was transferred from his father. The resurrection proved this. Thus, he was declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. It doesn't mean he wasn't the son of God. It was that he was declared that. He has prevailed. He has proved that he is the son of God with power because he prevailed over death. And that would not have been possible if he had sinned. He would have remained in the grave. So that's what Paul is trying to tell us in the book of Romans. In our understanding of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God, we will then develop to a perfect man. Paul's words, a perfect man. The idea here is that of growth and maturity. A child may have knowledge, but the knowledge is imperfect. As he grows into a man, his knowledge of things grows, and he becomes grounded in what he does. For example, if he sets out to become a doctor, he would have limited knowledge of his desired profession. I was making a joke just a little while ago. I was emailing my friend over in another country, you can guess who, and uh, he was uh, has a family member that is in medical school. And I said, I, I made a joke about what's going on with the world right now. And he said, no, that's year eight. He's only in year four. Okay. In other words, things we can't talk about on YouTube anymore. So I had to make a joke. I had to infer it to you. And uh, obviously um, uh, he was joking back. He said, no, that's year eight. He's in year four. But you learn as you go. He sets out to become a doctor. He would have limited knowledge of his desired profession, okay? But through schooling, observance, and practical application, he would develop into a knowledge-filled practitioner. Hopefully. I mean, we've got people that have gone through eight years of medical school, and they're out, out there. What does the Hippocratic Oath say? I will do no harm. no harm. And we've got them all over the country doing harm every day by tearing little babies apart inside a mother's womb. I read something so revolting today about the abortion issue. I've got it in my notes for next week, not this week, maybe next week. I've got to think if I want to put that in there, but it is so horrifying what the U.S. government paid, I think it was University of Pennsylvania, $3.2 million to do something, and it was so revolting. I don't know if I can put it into the uh, report or not, okay, but uh, we got people that are actually doing these things that took a Hippocratic oath that said they would not do these things, that they would cause no harm. Okay, he would develop hopefully into a knowledge filled practitioner. I got to qualify things now because it's no longer the world where these things are even reality. This is to be the goal of each Christian who has first obtained the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. You've got to have the knowledge of it. You've got, and once again, what is the unity of the faith? I mean, belief. we're talking, yes, it's belief, but we're talking about the very basic of it. Okay, we're talking about a Jehovah's Witness that believes that Jesus is the Son of God, and they'll tell you that. And we've got Mormons that believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and they will tell you that. 
But when you talk to him, I was emailing with somebody just yesterday who lives in a Mormon area, and she said, you know, very quickly you start to see that what the Son of God to them means is not what the Son of God means to you. Their belief is not the unity of the faith. It has nothing to do with the faith. They are not saved people. They believed a false gospel in a false Jesus. And until you get the right faith, who is Jesus Christ? Until you get that right, there's no unity of the faith. After you get that right and you believe it, you are a saved person. And then you can spend all the rest of your life ruining your own doctrine. But you need to get the basics right first. And the basics are that Jesus Christ is the God-man. He's not a man. He's not God. And one or the other, he is both all the time and he always will be. He is the God-man. Okay? He, he, all of the little heresies that come up about Jesus Christ, and they're always, there's always something new, but it's something that somebody's already done maybe 800 years ago, but it's always new to us. And we're always having our ears tickled about doctrinal issues and about certain things. But when it comes to Jesus, you have to get him right, okay? And when you believe that simple gospel, that this God-man, once again, what is the gospel? He died for your sins, he was buried, he rose again. He could not have risen again if he wasn't fully God, because he would have inherited sin. That's right. Okay, so we just talked about that a minute ago. Therefore, if you don't believe that he is God, then you have believed a false gospel. The, the, what the gospel says is something that implies much more than what it says. And so this is the unity of the faith. We need to make sure that we have that basic thing right. Okay, we have the knowledge of the Son of God. We are not to get saved and then feel we have to satisfactorily meet all that we do. Or, or I'm sorry, we are, we are not to get saved and then feel we have satisfactorily met all that we are to do. Instead, we are to be like a youth who desires to be a sound, effective doctor. We are to grow into maturity in Christ to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Our knowledge of him is to lead us to be like him. Okay, um, I wonder if I said, no, I, we didn't have class last week, did we? No, okay, so then I did not say this last week. Somebody emailed me, and he was, where did I put this? I was, maybe I, I uh, was using him as an example, and I, I just don't like repeating things here, but um, somebody emailed me a question about uh, something that somebody wrote, and I must have said it on Sunday. That's what it was. I'm not going to repeat it again. It was about something that somebody wrote, and that... Um, uh, he, he had a question about maturing in Christ. And he said, you know, I thought this person's uh, doctrine was eternal salvation. And now I'm reading this, I don't quite understand it. And this guy was saying, we cannot have a divided Christ. Did I say this on Sunday? Maybe I said it to somebody in a phone call. Phone call. I don't know. Anyway, okay. The idea is that he's reading this and the guy says, we can't have a divided Christ. Either Christ is your Lord or he's not. He was not saying you're not eternally saved, and he was not saying you needed to do something to be saved. What he was saying was that Christ will get you saved, but once you're saved, you are supposed to, as I just said, our knowledge of him is to lead us to be like him. We don't just get saved and say, okay, I'm saved and I don't need to do anymore. That is a divided Christ. Yes, you're saved, and yes, you can do that. The Bible lets you know you can do it. It says in 1 Corinthians 5, kick him out of the church and let the devil have him, but his spirit will be saved on the day of Christ Jesus. So it can happen. Peter says it can happen in 2 Peter chapter 1. That is not what is supposed to happen. We are supposed to say, okay, now I'm saved and I want to be 
like the one that saved me. Okay, there's no division in Christ. And when we don't act like Christ, we are dividing Christ. He saved me and I'm out of here. That doesn't work. It doesn't work. Your life will be a mess. You want to grow in Christ. You want to be like Christ. Okay. Uh, now, we're obviously talking about uh, hopefuls. In Charlie Garrett's sake, you know, I, I, I feel like I'm the least Christ-like person on the planet half the time. Why did I think that thought? Why did I do that thing? It, it, it just, it happens all the time. But you got to just keep striving to be like Christ. You say, I'm not going to do that again, Lord. I'm not going to yell at my wife. I'm not going to get upset at my mom for not showing up on Thursday night. She called me today. And it's Thursday. And I'm thinking, the phone is ringing. It's mom. I said, the first thing I said was, I know you're not coming to class tonight because she didn't want me to worry. She'll call, in, which is a nice thing. But you're supposed to be in class with your son. And I knew that's what she was going to do. And I was wrong. So there, I, I wasn't being nice to my mother. I didn't give her a chance to explain. And what she called about was to thank me for the CG report that I did yesterday because she said that she really enjoyed it. She said, you know, I want to send it to every single person on my mailing list because it's an important issue that needs to be addressed right now. She did that. I know she did. And then he resent it out to everybody on his list. But uh, the, the point of what she was happy about, and this is going to surprise you, don't get in a panic about my mom. She said, you didn't bring in Jesus through the whole thing. And she said that was very wise because what you were talking about needs to be addressed to people and not have them click off after the first 20 seconds. And if you started to say, well, this is a front to Christians in America. Now, at the end, I mentioned, obviously, I'm sitting in a pulpit, but I didn't do it from that perspective because this is an issue that needs to be addressed to the people, not to Christians. It's to everybody. And then from there, at the end, I mentioned, you know, church and prayer or whatever. I, I don't remember what I said, but she said that was a good thing to do with the thing that you did. Anyway, so I appreciate that, Mom, but I was wrong in my accusations of my mother, okay? Okay, we are to be morally mature, grounded in understanding, and to be Christ-like in all that we do. To be in the stature of the fullness of Christ, Paul's words, is to walk in this world as he did, to pursue, to pursue righteousness in full measure, to be able to expound upon the truths of Scripture accurately and completely. Obviously, this is impossible for everybody because you don't have all day to sit around and study the Bible and answer questions and debate things, okay? But it is at least a responsibility to an extent. And the reason why I say that is because I know that every single person in here, probably, I, I don't know personally, but I know probably you have a TV. And that TV probably gets turned on from time to time. And if it gets turned on, and you're watching whatever, and I'm not saying you can't watch that because I watch all kinds of other stuff too, but where is your priority? Balance. That balance, that's right, balance. And if you have time to watch one or two or four hours of TV in a day, you can take two of those and give them to the Bible, okay? Yes, there are wonderful things to watch on TV. There are interesting things to watch. There's educational things to watch, but where is your priority? Is it Sunday morning church and then nothing else? Is it Sunday and Thursday and nothing else? Or are you getting up and reading the Bible and going to bed and reading the Bible and thinking about the Lord during the day, even while watching something on TV? This is, this is what Paul is referring to, okay? I'll read that again. Our knowledge of him is to lead us to be like him. We are to be morally mature, grounded in understanding, and to be Christ-like in all we do. That's a hard one to fulfill, but that's what we should do. To be in the stature of the fullness of Christ, 
is to walk in this world as he did, to pursue righteousness in full measure, to be able to expound upon the truths of Scripture accurately and completely. In all ways, we should endeavor to be fitting examples of the one who went before us, Christ the Lord. This is what we're being asked to do. And I can tell you this, you know, Job was not in the line of the Hebrew people, right? He was outside of the line of the Hebrew people. He was way before the time of the law, uh, you know, or he may have been probably around Abraham, maybe Isaac, maybe Jacob, but in that area, he was not at the time of the law. He was way before that, but he was pursuing the knowledge of God even at that point. Okay, he was pursuing the Messiah that he had heard about from one of his fathers who heard it from a father, who heard it from a father, who heard it from, believe it or not, Noah, because that's the only source of this knowledge that we have on the planet at the time of Job, was this coming down through people telling them. And he was one of the sons of God, Job 1.6, that went to present himself before the Lord. Okay, these were people who had hope in the Messiah. And that is evidenced all the way through the book of Job. He was wanting to be like God. He was wanting to emulate him. He may not have had a full understanding of it, but he could pursue the knowledge of God. And he even said, what is it, chapter 19, I know that my Redeemer lives. I know he lives. And someday I will stand on these feet and my eyes will behold him, him, me, and not another. Okay. And so he knew the promise of Messiah. This is what we're asked to do, and then to grow into the fullness of that knowledge. Because we're on the other side of the cross. We're on the other side of the apostles. We're on the other side of the writings of Scripture. And we've got not only that, we've got 2,000 years of competent people making comments and, and studying this word, giving us their knowledge, building upon it. New insights and new revelations are coming out of this word. And we, if we are willing to, are going to be able to process this knowledge of God more than the previous generation, hopefully. That is our responsibility. It doesn't mean it's going to happen. But that's why I love line-by-line -line teaching. I know that sometimes sermons may get a little technical. My dad says, you know, your sermons are a little technical, so you need what you do at the end of the service is very important because you want to be, you know, personal with them. And he, he thinks that. And I agree, it's important. But at the same time, I love to look at every little thing about this word and to build upon what other people have built upon. Now, I'm not trying to diminish what my dad said, please. I was just, that's how he would talk to me. He's more stuffy like that. And then he'll talk to somebody else and he sounds like a normal human being. So anyway, isn't that true? Am I, am I making that up? It's true. He, when he will use words with us that he would never use with another person. He almost goes back, he's from a Quaker tradition. And he will start saying thee and thy and thou at times and all that kind of, he, he just speaks differently. You know, he uses words that have not been used in the English uh, for, for 200, yeah, the 200 years, nobody has used this word and he will throw it into a conversation and you better know what he's talking about. So anyway, I wasn't picking on my dad. I love him and he is right. And I always take what he says to heart when he talks about, you know, uh, what I do in the church because he's sitting back there and he's observing and he wants the best for Charlie. So I always, yeah, I always listen to what he says, but um, uh, this is what we want to do is we want to develop in the word of God. And you're not going to do that just sitting at home watching TV. Okay. So um, let's see here. Accurately and completely in all ways. Um, as a notable point, it cannot be argued that all five offices of verse 11, let me read them to you. Verse 11, it says, 
uh, he himself gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. It cannot be argued that all five offices of verse 11 must therefore remain until this is fully realized, because somebody could use that argument. Well, there must be still apostles today because, no, all right? Rather, each remains as long as it is needed for its specific purpose. The office of apostle is no longer needed because the work of the apostles, those that were designated by Jesus Christ, who had personally seen him and personally been instructed by him, those people did their job. They got the church established around the world, and some of them developed a written communication that we now call the Word of God, the New Testament writings. And because we have those writings, we no longer need apostles. Okay, you cannot argue that those are still needed when their job is complete and the apostles' job is complete. Okay, they each remains as long as it is needed for its specific purpose. The offices of apostle and prophet actually do continue on to this day in the sense that we have still the writings of those who gave us the New Testament. So they do continue on, but they are not necessary outside of what they have done. Okay, even if they do not continue on as necessary offices. So we have their office implicitly with us always because we have the word, but we don't need those offices actively going. We needed them for what they did. Okay, life application. To be Christ-like does not mean that we are to pursue works of the law as Christ did in his earthly ministry. That's another thing that people say, well, Christ did the things of the law, and therefore we are to do the things of the law. I've heard that more times than I can tell you, and I can't tell you how nauseous that makes me feel every time I hear it from somebody's lips. Well, Christ Christ did this, and Christ did that. Well, Christ was told to wear a garment with tassels on it with the blue thread in there. Why aren't you doing that? Right? Oh, we don't need to do that. Why not? It's a part of the law. You have to get your dispensations right. Christ was there under the law, he was living under the law, and he was also fulfilling the law. Because nobody else anywhere under the law ever fulfilled the law. They did it piecemeal, or they didn't do it at all, or whatever. So for you to say, for me to be Christ-like is to not eat pork. I'm sorry, it doesn't work that way. You're not any more Christ-like if you eat pork or if you don't eat pork. That has nothing to do with it. Probably but less. Probably less at this point. Yeah, way less at this point. Okay, so, and then the same is true. I, you know, this is outside of Christianity, but the same thing is true, and it goes through my mind all the time. You see these Jews, you know, they always have the, the tzitzit coming out of their pants. Have you ever seen them? The, especially the observant Jews, they have these tassels hanging out of their clothes. And the reason why they do that is because it used to be that they were not, in many countries, allowed to wear the garments of a Jew, okay? And so they would put on their regular clothes, which they do. You'll see the Hasidic Jews have got like a suit on or something, but you'll see the tassels hanging out. And that's to prove to all the rest of them that they are observing the law. Well, it's kind of useless if that's the only thing you're doing, because there's a lot more of the law that is involved than just putting those tassels out of your, your thing as a show, okay? It's the same thing, whether it's a Jew doing that or whether it's a Christian going back to the law, It's the same thing. You are not pleasing God through that type of activity in any way, shape, or form. If you're going to be under the law, you are going to be under the law. Lock, stock, and barrel. And there are no excuses for you to say, well, I don't need to do this, but I will do that. 
that is inexcusable. The law is a single body of law. If you violate one precept of the law, you have broken the whole law. That's right. So, so if you're if you're going to be more like Christ, why don't you be like more like Christ and abolish the need for the absolutely he has fulfilled the law to be like christ is to to do the command and you know this is a great verse i'm always telling people it is uh, the circumcision verse i think it's on um, 2 corinthians 5 i think 17 where he talks about circumcision and he says circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing but keeping the commandments of god okay and people will take the second half of that and they'll say see we have to keep the commandments of god we need to observe the law but they fail to look at the first clause, which says circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. And guess what circumcision is? It's a law. It's a part of the law of Moses from the book of Leviticus. You are mandated to be circumcised. So Paul cannot be speaking about law observance. He cannot be. He's speaking about calling on the Son of God and doing what this says right here, emulating the Son of God. To be Christ-like does not mean that we are to pursue works of the law as Christ did in his earthly ministry. It is to trust in the work that he has accomplished and to go forward in that knowledge. We cannot impose on ourselves the burden, burden of the law and say, I am being Christ-like. We will fail at the law. He prevailed over the law. It is important to understand this and to rest in his work and to emulate him as the fulfiller of the law. This cannot be stressed enough. And I know I say it every single week. It's so irritating to me to see people trying to set aside the grace of Christ, to redo what Christ has already done, or to say, I can do it better than what Christ has done. Have we got a problem? No. No, okay. Um, okay. So, and it is. It's different. It changes because he, he works on it from time to time. Anyway, um, it, this can't be stressed enough. And if I say it every single week for the rest of the time that I'm teaching, I don't think it'll be enough because people still don't get it. They do not get the fact that Christ is the end of the law for all who believe. He is the end of the law for righteousness for everyone who believes. Okay, that is what we need to remember. Christ, Christ. We just need to be like him. We need to walk like him. We need to pursue him and think about him and love him and cherish his word forever. Okay, 414. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the way blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men deceitful scheming i'm going to tell you what i could probably write 55 pages on this verse the, the just just these three words right here four words every wind of doctrine okay but I, i'm sure this commentary is going to be short and we're only going to be in it for a couple minutes but I want you to know, every wind of doctrine, I can't tell you how many times people will email me, and they will all of a sudden have a new doctrine, something new. They've, they've, they've gone from this one, and now they're going to this one, and they're going to this one. There's these feeding troughs that they just keep going to. Instead of just sticking to the word, instead of sticking to what is sound and reasonable, there's every wind of doctrine available out there, everywhere. And there are people that are unschooled and unqualified teaching in churches. And maybe I am. That's why you need to check me as well. I, I'm honest about that. I'm not just saying that to be pious. It is true. There are people that teach every single wind of doctrine that you can possibly imagine. And most of them, 99.92367% of them are wrong. 
they they just make stuff up. They pull things out of context. They they yeah, I got to write a sermon and they'll pull this verse out of here. And you know, I've seen them quote people as if this person is a specialist, like John Gill. I love John Gill. John Gill says and about this verse, and they don't take the entire quote, or they act like John Gill is a specialist on everything when at other times John Gill is completely wrong. And so when I do a sermon, if I disagree with John Gill, what do I say? John Gill incorrectly says the following, because you want to, people to understand, I am not going to just trust John Gill. If I do that, if I keep citing John Gill, everybody's going to say John Gill is always right, and so we can trust him. You can't do that. You have to evaluate what he is saying in the context of what is being stated. And I've seen this time and time again, where people overquote somebody, and they never call into question anything he says. And people especially do that with John Calvin. That is one of the, the people that gets quoted by out of the proper context so many times, and it is damaging, okay? It's not to be high-headed and to be arrogant over these people, but guess what? John Gill lived in the 1600s. It was a long time ago. He built upon other people. Other people are building upon other people, and that's where we get our knowledge from, is by going to all of these people and evaluating different opinions, different analyses, and then coming to a right decision. Not every wind of doctrine, because a lot of wind, a lot of wind of doctrines are wrong. Anyway, um, let me read my copy of it because it was a little different than yours. Sure. That we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. That almost reminds me of what we were talking about before. A young man, I won't give any circumstances because I don't want to embarrass anybody, but a young man has got a, uh, a something in his life that he may or may not do. And uh, people are going to one of the people here and asking, what do you think about this? And he came to me and asked me that. And we talked about it for probably 10 minutes today. How do we best approach this issue? Because this is a young person and he could very easily be taken astray by every wind of doctrine, not just Bible doctrine, but the world in which we live. And so this is something that's important that we get this straight for him because his whole life is ahead of him and he needs to make right decisions now in this matter. Okay, exactly. Okay, 414. Paul is still speaking of the appointment of the five offices mentioned in verse 11. These were given for the purpose of equipping the saints, edifying the body, and so forth. This then would lead to the point where we all come, Paul's words, we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, this is the previous verse, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, in contrast to the perfect man just mentioned, he reverts to the thought of what so many in the church are. Children, yes. This word is often translated as babes or infants. It is almost exclusively used in a negative sense. It refers to those who are impulsive, rash, unthinking, and so on. Such people are easily manipulated, and their doctrine is as changing as those of the garments of a woman in a fashion show. It's very sad to see this, that people, and they can be people that really love the Lord, but they are easily swayed because of a convincing, you know, I'm going to tell you, one of the most effective ways of getting people to believe wrong doctrine is being a really good preacher. Yeah. Well, that is one of the most effective ways. If you were, and I'm not talking about being a good preacher of the Bible, I'm talking about being a good showman. orator. A, yeah, yes, a showman. A, yeah, a showman and an orator. 
because they don't have to teach you what is proper to impress you. The, the number one person, and I use him as an example constantly because his doctrine is so flawed, it's heretical, is John Hagee. He's one of the greatest orators I have ever heard stand up and speak to people. He has the intonation perfect at the right moment. It's enough to, you know, it's like when you're listening to something, all of a sudden it, it hits you right here, a song, and there's a, the, the composer will give you a, a note at the right time that you're not expecting, and all of a sudden it just goes right through you. Or you hear something over here and it just carries your ear away because that's, that is what these people that are great orators are intending to do. They're intending to get you into what they're doing. And if they're not doing what is proper, they are damaging people. I'm talking about in theology. I'm not talking about you know anything else right now. I'm talking about in theology. If they are great orators and they are bad doctrine or heretical doctrine teachers, they have got a lot of people swayed very quickly because people do not care about the doctrine. They care about what they're hearing, okay? And, you know, every single week, you know me, I stutter a lot. I say things backwards because I'm, I, I'm not just, uh, an, uh, what's the word? Dyslexic. Uh, dyslexic thank you. I was going to say anorexic and I knew that wasn't right. But I'm not just dyslexic at litigating words. I'm also dyslexic in my mind. I will have a thought and I will think it backwards and I will say it backwards even without it in front of me, okay? And every single week when I get done preaching, I, I'll tell you, when I sit over there and I, you know, we're confessing our sins afterward, all of us are real quiet, the first thing I do is I say, Lord, I'm sorry I'm such a bad preacher because I want to, I want to do a good job for him to be glorified. And the first thing I apologize about every week is I, my word stuttered here. I skipped over a whole paragraph. I and I want this word that I put all this effort into to be proper. And it always is improper. In some, and that's why, you know, you know, when I go home on Sunday, the reason why I'm working so hard is to edit out all of the mistakes and to move things around so that the people that do listen don't hear my unqualified oration. But the content is what I want to be perfect. I couldn't care deadly about the oration in comparison to the content. Yeah, but, but here's the deal. Uh, is it a preacher that's just like, Tickling ears. Oh uh, yeah. They only have like two points they have to make. That's right. So and the rest of it is just easier to remember two points than it is. It is. Like, you know, and that's one take... thing I tell people. I tell people if you see somebody that preaches and they pick up their Bible and they talk and then they set it down and they go and talk for forty five minutes, yeah. what they are saying is probably not worth listening to. I want you to know that. If they don't have their what their content of their sermon properly prepared and in front of them it is probably not worth listening to. And I don't mean that with everybody because some people have very, very good memories, but the majority of the people, as he said, will give you one or two points and they will just flower you to death with those two points. And in the end, you haven't learned anything, okay? There are people that really struggle over the word and on Sunday morning, it is the most important part of their life. And if you attend a church like that, I hope you appreciate the effort of that particular pastor, okay? Because he wants you to be properly instructed. And I'm not saying that about Charlie Garrett. You know, you have to evaluate me on your own. But I'm saying this for any preacher that you see that is putting the effort into the Word. That is what this church is about. I'm talking about the church of God, God's church. It is about this Word. Because Jesus isn't here right now. I mean, he's here with us, but he's not here. Okay? We don't have the apostles. All we have is what he has given us to understand what God is doing in the stream of redemptive history until 
Christ comes back for us. And so it's an, it, it is the most important thing that you can do is to find a church. I've got somebody that just emailed me today. They attend online, but they've been looking for a church in their area for a long time. And he emailed me this morning and he says, we may have found a church and, you know, we're, we'll, we'll let you know. And I just pray that it'll be a good church. If not, you know, whatever. There's well, there are churches all over the place. I mean, it, it, well, that's you know, exactly. But this isn't in Sarasota. This is somewhere way away from here. But anyway, I'm just, I, I would hope that they would have a good church to attend. I just, because people need not just the fellowship. What they need is to have the proper teaching and instruction. Anyway, we'll go on. The reason for this, um, uh, oh, wait a minute. I must have, I turned the page. Um yeah, oh, let me read this again. Now, in contrast to the perfect man just mentioned, he reverts to the thought of what? So many church uh, in the church are children. This word is often translated babes or infants. It is almost exclusively used in a negative sense. It refers to those who are impulsive, rash, unthinking, and so on. Such people are easily manipulated, and their doctrine is as changing as those of a garments of a woman in a fashion show. Okay, the reason for this is because they are not grounded in Scripture by those who have been mentioned in verse 11. This is what they need, but it is also what they often stubbornly refuse to receive. People who spend all their time in prophecy circles, and there's lots of people that that's all they do is they want to talk about prophecy and they want to be, are a classic example of this type of behavior. They are often shallow in biblical knowledge, and their focus is myopic and it is twisted. Because all they do is spend their time in the book of Revelation. They spend their time in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians 15, and that's their whole life. And of course, then most of them will take Matthew 24, and they'll throw that in there out of the proper dispensation, and they'll say, and so everything is skewed in their life, because all they have is this little thing that they keep going, and they, they keep going to a different teacher to get something new out of those passages instead of taking in the whole counsel of God. Okay, they are often shallow in biblical knowledge, and I'm talking about the rest of the Bible, and their focus is myopic. That means focused on one thing, and it is therefore twisted. Such people are ripe for being turned into uh, turned with very little effort at all. Their attention span is only as long as the next crazy video about another prophecy issue. Believe me, if you want to know how true this is, just start your own prophecy update for a month or two, okay? Put it on YouTube and see the people that come to you with their thoughts. You won't believe it. You won't believe how easily manipulated people are. It is unbelievable. Is this but, one of the reasons you changed the prophecy? No, out of the no. That was because of what happened with yeah. YouTube. Okay. I, I want to completely separate it from the church so that if that gets taken off. All I care about is the sermons. Right, right. The prophecy updates are weekly. They're informational. I hope they bless people. I hope that they're aware of what's going on in the sure. world. But I don't want the, the, and I couldn't use the same name. And so Sergio, I think, is the one that gave, we'll call it the CG report. Okay. You know, and he did all the graphics and he did a great little video. I don't know if you've ever seen it, if you haven't watched the video, but he did this great introduction video. And so anyway, he's, he's very helpful with things like that. He knows how to make things work, which I wouldn't. But um, uh, once again, speaking about the people on the prophecy issue, thus they are tossed to and fro. This is Paul's words, to and fro. The, this is the only use of the word kludonizomai in the Bible. It refers to the waves which rise and fall, billowing high and then turning into deep caverns. People without proper doctrine are carried along in just this manner 
ever pulling at their faces and saying, Oh my! as they are pulled from strange doctrine to strange doctrine. Such crazy teachings are described by the words, with every wind of doctrine. You're out on the sea, the wind is blowing here, all of a sudden it swirls around, it gets caught up under the wave and it pulls the boat over this way. And if you've ever been on a boat out in big waves, you'll know what Paul is talking about because he was out there on the ocean many times. It is scary to be in big waves. If you ever want to do it and you just want to be kind of close to places, go down to Lake Okeechobee during a storm. It's very shallow, okay? And when you have shallow water and very high winds on a big body of water, it is very dangerous. You'll see every wind of doctrine. You'll live it personally, okay? But there's also a lot of thunder and lightning, and you'll probably get killed. But, but uh, Lake Okeechobee is a perfect place to think, oh, this is going to be great. It's it's big place. It's, you know, I'm sorry. You, you know, that same thing with the, uh, the Sea of Galilee. What happens is you've got the Mediterranean over here. You've got the Arbel Pass, and the winds get blowing, and they come this way in and here's the sea of galilee and the waves can get six eight ten feet very quickly where you read this story and you look at it and you think oh it's so small it's only seven miles by a mile or something it's teeny and you think how can that be but ask sergio he's i think it was i think it was sergio that says out there one day and all of a sudden the waves were just getting bigger and bigger maybe it wasn't sergio i think it was anyway uh, it's surprising how quickly waters can threaten your life anyway in a raging storm at sea the winds turn from one direction to another blow <laughs> excuse me blowing the spray of the waves right in the face of the sailors at one moment and then knocking them off their feet from behind in the next this is the idea that paul gives here think of somebody you know that's like this somebody that you love but they're just all over the place in the bible okay there you go that's who paul is speaking about instead of picking up the bible checking it carefully and taking all of the verses in context as they should they pull verses out of context or they receive verses already torn out of context they establish doctrines which have nothing to do with god's intent for his people okay this is done by paul says the trickery of men the greek word is kubeia and it is another word unique to the bible it is the source of our word cube and hence it gives the idea of dice the sleight of hand by the player of dice fools those who are in the game so it is with the sleight of hand of those who misuse scripture in order to pervert its true pure intended meaning jehovah's witnesses and hebrew roots movement teachers are great examples of this type of sleight of hand okay they come to your door they knock on your door or they come into your congregation and they say oh yeah and then they start putting in these little sleight of hand things that you know sometimes people will expect something out of you right away i need an answer on this and you just can't do that because you have to stop and you have to think about it. he asked me something earlier and i said i got to go check this in the back room i he was vacuuming they were talking and i thought i i i need to give a proper example okay and i couldn't think at the time and so i went to jameson fawcett brown great great commentary on that verse wow okay but um these people come in, they have this type of sleight of hand, and with a few verses cunningly presented, especially the JWs, boy, they've got about 15 verses that they will bring out, and they can convince you that Jesus has nothing to do with God. He's just a guy. He was created by God. I mean, it's that easy to twist people away because they've got these verses just so perfectly aligned, and you don't know how to answer them. And all of a sudden, you think, brain freeze. 
Maybe I've been wrong all along. Okay, there are few verses cunningly presented without all of the relevant information, and that's where the key is. The shallow and unprepared person is led completely astray. You know, I, one time when I had my store down the road here, I had some Jehovah's Witnesses that came by and they wanted to talk, and they came by a few weeks. I didn't know anything. And uh, so one of them says, oh, yeah, I used to be in a Presbyterian church. And now I look back and I think of that guy. He grew up in a Presbyterian church, and he was never schooled properly. The parents probably didn't make him go to, to attend church with them. The pastor probably didn't care, whatever the reason is. All of a sudden, the Jehovah's Witness show up at the door, and he's like, oh, yeah, and there he is. Now, he could be a saved person, too. He could have been saved when he was young, but he is going to spend the rest of his life in bondage. And they have the highest rate of suicide of any supposed Christian dom denomination out there because it's that heavily into bondage, okay? So just think, this, is, this could happen to anybody unless you are willing to instruct them in your life. There goes Jody taking off. Oh, my. <laughs> have a nice evening. <laughs> Evil. She said, I'm going to leave quietly. Don't say anything. Okay. Okay. They lead you completely astray. And this is the trickery of men is from the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Paul's words, the trickery of men, it comes from this cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. What Paul is saying, he's using these beautiful words to tell us that this is how it really is, that people creep in there and they, you know. once again, John Hagee, perfect example. Jews don't need to be saved by Jesus. They're saved by the adherence to the law of Moses, right? And here's how I can prove that to you. And he gives you this great oration and it sounds convincing. And he's sending people straight to the lake of fire. He's not even telling them to stop at, you know, this gas station on the way. You got plenty of gas to get you there and you'll explode when you get there. Don't worry. It's just, yeah, scripture stations. Absolutely. It's the trickery of men from cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. This refers to also to skillful abilities of gamblers. It gives the sense of shrewdness of behavior, which is reflected in the unscrupulous cunning that stops at nothing to achieve a selfish goal. That's helps word studies. Read that again. Unscrupulous cunning that stops at nothing to achieve a selfish goal. If it's about self, if it's about anything other than Jesus, it is probably wrong. Okay? David Koresh, he had all those people, you know, they, they show up at his compound, he's teaching them, and he convinces the men in the compound that they are to remain celibate, and he's to sleep with all of their wives. And they let him. They let him because he knew how to twist the word. He said, I'm the Lamb of God in the book of Revelation. That's, that's who it's speaking of. Can you imagine that? And people just believe it. It's just unbelievable what's going on in this world, and it's getting worse by the day. And guess what? It's happening on a national level right now. Yeah. Right now. It's no longer just your church falling away. When the church is gone, which it is, I mean, we've got a few churches out there, and, you know, they're out there, and they're people that are properly calling out what's going on. But for the most part, the churches are asleep. Uh, somebody was talking about um, the churches. Uh, who was it? Anyway, uh, the, the general intent of it is that the pastors just don't want to get involved. They just don't want to say that this is wrong about the issues that are in the world today. You know, we're going to have church and we're going to talk about the Bible and we're not going to discuss what's going on in the world when you cannot disassociate one from the other. 
It doesn't matter what country you're in. It doesn't matter what language you speak. You cannot disassociate the morals that are happening in the society with what the church is doing. Unless you're in a place that just absolutely like Russia, you know, you're there. And if you're caught in a church, you're going to be executed. Then you need to separate yourself from the society. Okay. And that's a very tough burden to carry, I'm sure. But if you're in a regular society, you cannot disassociate what you're doing with your life and what the society is doing. You can't do it. Okay. So um, let's see here. Uh, the ultimate goal of such manipulation is power and greed. When one is spiritually bound up in this way, that person is easily manipulated to do the desires of the false teachers. And is more than willing to expend himself and his fortune in order to appease their cruel taskmasters. So it just, and you see that. That's what the people with David Koresh did. Just give them all the money. We're just going to give you everything and let you handle it. Heaven's Gate, remember those guys? All wore the same clothes, put on the same tennis shoes, killed themselves, pulled the blanket over their head, and they all went off to be behind the, uh, the uh, Hale-Bopp Comet, right? What a waste. What a waste to just trust people and not to check things out. What an absolute waste. For the term deceitful, Paul uses the term methodea. It is a predictable, this is once again helps word studies. It is a predictable preset method. You can hear it right there, methodea, and used in organized evil doing. And then they put in brackets, well-crafted trickery. Well-crafted trickery. None of this is arbitrary or unplanned, but it is methodically prepared in order to bind up and imprison the uneducated soul. Got to read your Bible. You've got to know your Bible well enough when you hear something and it leaves a little bit of a, doesn't sound right. Because if you don't have that, you are up to exactly what Paul is warning about right here. What is it? Well-crafted trickery. Life application. Oh, wait, I didn't finish that. Yes, I did. Life application by running ahead and following teachers without first reading and contemplating the Word of God, people are so quickly and easily turned astray. You know, I'm thankful to the Lord that I had the opportunity to have that that business I had down the road. I came back from the military. I went into wastewater. I was in that for many years. The company I ran the uh, the wastewater plant right over here, which is now gone. They're gone, and I didn't want to. Uh, go into wastewater again. And so I went, my friend said, let's go to Alaska and mine gold. And I went and mined gold for a, a summer up in Alaska and I came back and I didn't know what to do. And so I worked across the road and I rebuilt a hotel and it was great. I just walked across the road. It was 40 feet from the house. And so I did that for a while. And then I thought, I, I just need to do something. And that's when we started the Asian trade. I would go over to Asia and I bought a lot of stuff and sold it here. And I went down to Miami every few weeks and bought stuff and sold it here. And then I met the Lord personally through the word. And because I'm in a retail business, I had 10 hours. I was open every day and you might have somebody come in for two minutes through the whole day during the summer. I mean, you know, you're not, you know what it is here in Sarasota. So I'd sit in the back all day, every day, 10 hours a day and read the Bible. And I'd finish it in a week. And then I'd read it again. And I'd finish it that week and I'd read it again. And I did this every single week for two years. And I got to the point where I'd read it backwards. I'd read, you know, book one, 22 and 66, 44 and 66, and then two, whatever, you know, and it, I just would do it differently. And I'm glad, I'm so thankful to the Lord that I had that opportunity because 
you know, I, I now have at least a grounding in the word, even if I didn't understand how to teach the word or if I didn't understand what was going on. And so from there, when you hear somebody say something, you're like, that's not right. I know that's not right. I've read this enough to know that that is incorrect. Okay. I, like I said, when I first started pursuing the Lord, I'd never seen anybody open a Bible in a church. And so the Jehovah's Witnesses came by and they opened their Bible. I said, they must know what they're talking about. And so I went there, and within just a couple months, having read the Bible through, what's it, uh, three months, uh, three times, uh, uh, whatever, 12 times, read through the Bible 12 times, and I was out of there. I said, this doesn't match at all what this word says. But if I didn't have that, I might still be sitting there today. So read the Bible. If you don't do anything else with your time, read the Bible. And you've got no excuse when you're driving. I mean, I'm already up to Jeremiah again. I, this is like the fifth time going through, and I drive five miles a day. But, you know, I'm in Jeremiah today. So read the Bible, listen to the Bible, think on the Bible, meditate on it, because if you don't, this is what's going to happen to you, okay? I'm not talking to people. You, most of you are pretty well versed in the Bible. I'm talking about anybody that's listening that just thinks they know it all. You do not. And I'm going to tell you, if I didn't listen to the Bible in the car, and if I didn't read it every day within two months, I would not know where I was anymore, because you forget. You, you just forget. You have to be in the Word. Okay. Um, it's not, oh yeah, I said that. Okay, by running ahead and following teachers without first reading and contemplating the word of God, people are so quickly and easily turned astray. One must be exceedingly careful what teachers and preachers they will follow. And no matter who they are instructed by, every person who has, every person has the responsibility to then go out and check what they have been taught, including after Charlie Garrett's class. You need to go home, and on your way home, you two talk about what Charlie said. If it didn't sound right, then you need to go home and check it out. And if there's something wrong, then email me or on Sunday morning, come back and talk to me about it. Because this is your now your responsibility, okay? Every person has the responsibility to go check out what they have been taught. Paul wrote these words 2,000 years ago. And as I show you from time to time, this is it. This is all that we have of Paul right here. Okay, it's very little. Okay, Romans. I'm going to add that in. I'm, I've got a couple pages of Acts. Let me get five more pages. Okay, Acts. Okay, there's Acts one, Romans one. So I'll include this includes Acts twenty eight because it's on a page. But here it is. That is Paul's writings right here. That is it. Two thousand years we have had this information for two thousand years, and people are still arguing and debating over those few pages that I just held up. False teachers have thus had a long time to prepare their false teachings and to employ their wicked schemes against the body of Christ. So beware, okay? And Jody, one time she said to me, you know, anytime I hear a preacher say, I'm going to tell you something you've never heard before, you need to be very careful. And she says, I won't say what she said about me, because I do that from time to time. I'm, I'm, and, but when I do that, I always say the same thing. i You'll, I've never heard this before. I've never been taught this before. I've never heard anybody teach it. And so I want you to be careful about what I'm saying. Remember, Jonah? I almost apologized before the sermon even started. I, I would not say this if I didn't believe what I'm going to say in the final sermon of the book of Jonah. But I want you to make sure that you check this out because I don't want to be responsible for you being misled by me. But I don't know anybody that's ever taught this. And so here you go. I'm going to present it now. You got to be careful. All right, 4.15, we, do we have time? Let's see, we got 15 minutes. Let me see how long this is. Turn the page. Oh, we can do it. Okay, sure. 4.15. Can you lead us straight, Charlie? Can we stone you? 
Yes, please take me out and stone me. Send me home to Jesus. Thank you. Okay, 4.15. Okay, before I go, don't forget, stay out of waste. Oh, yeah, stay out of wastewater. Why? Intuitive, you know, it's like, how do I get in there? No, don't, yeah, don't, don't get into the wastewater. Anyhow, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. Okay, very close. I'm not going to reread it. It's just two words turned around. But I will tell you something. There were times at the wastewater plant. It takes a lot of work to drain a tank and to get down there and to fix something when it's broken or if you, something gets dropped in. And so I didn't always stay out of the wastewater. I, I would do things I should not have done just to make just sure to that the done. plant would not have to be taken offline. It, it's expensive. It can be damaging to the uh, the culture that you're, uh, you have in your plant. And so I would do you know, a doctor, when you got a problem with your stomach, you can either take medicine or you can have a doctor open you up and go in and take care of it. I'm the guy that would go in and take care of it. I won't say any more than that. I don't want to get myself in trouble, you know. Go under it all. Yeah. Well, anyway, here we go. 4.15. Here's the comments. Paul begins with the verse. Paul begins the verse with the word here translated as but. You started with what? This one. Instead. Instead, that's right. It is given to contrast the equipping of the saints in order to keep them from being children who are tossed to and fro by all kinds of false, cunning, and deceitful teachings. Instead of such things, sound teachers of the word are always to be speaking the truth in love. Total contrast to what we just looked through. This thought comes from one single Greek word, which is used only here and in Galatians 4.16. I don't remember what it said in Galatians 4, so let me go see that. Galatians 4 verse 16. It says, um, uh, here it is, have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth. Okay, so Galatians 4.16, it is used in classical Greek with the full meaning of it to be true, to arrive at truth, and to speak truth. That's Vincent's word studies. Helps word studies tells the Christian that it includes spirit-led confrontation where it is vital to tell the truth so others can live in God's reality rather than personal illusion. All teachers of the word are to speak only in truth. They are never to waffle in their proclamation or their convictions concerning what God's word states, ever. However, Paul gives an an extra precept for them to follow. They are to speak the truth in love. One can speak the truth bluntly and with force. The tone can be disgusting or crabby. In this, the truth is spoken, but it can actually produce a harmful reaction in the hearer. It is true that people who do not receive Jesus are going to hell, but to stand on a street corner as an evangelist and to condemn all of those people who don't believe to this sad fate in a demeaning and arrogant way will only lead them further from Jesus Christ. I've seen people do that. They get right out on the street and they're just, you're all a bunch of sinners and you're all going to hell. And people just blow them off. They say, I don't want to be around a person like that. It is unfortunate that so many teachers follow this abrupt and demeaning path. The very thing they should be doing, which is leading people to Christ, is the very thing they fail to do. Now, you can be as honest as you want about going to hell. The Bible says that if we don't receive Jesus Christ, we're going to go to hell. And you're going to have a completely different response to people 
or from people than you will when you say you're all going to hell. It's a completely different response. You just don't ever waffle on the truth because the truth is the truth, but you got to handle it properly. And some people just don't seem to get that. Paul never waffled in his doctrine ever. And yet when, confront, when he confronted another who was not following the truth, he did it in a firm yet loving way. Who am I speaking about? Peter. Peter. Galatians 2. A very good example of this, yes, Galatians chapter 2. Peter was falling in sound doctrine, and Paul corrected him without demeaning him in any way. He spoke in love, and such an approach is proper so that those who hear may grow. This is Paul's words, grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. He didn't demean Paul in order to show himself better. He corrected, I'm Peter. He corrected Peter so that Christ would be magnified. Let's take a moment and read that because I know we have time. I know we do. Ephesians chapter 2, Galatians chapter 2. Okay, um, Galatians. See, there's my brain not working. I said Ephesians at first and I knew that wasn't right. Okay, so it says um, verse 11, 211. Is that what I said here? Yeah, 211. Okay, now when Peter had come to Antioch, this is Peter. He's been with Jesus. I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with Gentiles. Peter, eating with Gentiles. Kind of blows out the Hebrew roots movement stuff. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him. So that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, he will not, he will not waver or waffle on the gospel. I said to Peter before them all, if you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ, and not by works of the law, for by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. It goes on, but you get the point. He, he was right in the Bible, right telling him the proper doctrine of Christ, and he did it without demeaning him in any way and without condemning him in any way. He did the right thing. And you know, that's hard. I'm going to tell you something. I get people that will email me and will have like debates about doctrine, okay? They got something they want to say, and, and it, you don't get emotions through emails. And so people can think you're being arrogant. They can think you're, it, it, you don't get any emotions through emails. They can say, well, why, why are you yelling at me? You know, I'm not, I'm, I'm answering, especially, you know, when I wake up in the morning, it's three o'clock and I've got all this stuff to do and I'll see something that's really important and I will answer it. And I might not say hello at the beginning and I might not say Charlie at the end. It's just the content because I want to get it done and get on with the day. And they think that I'm being, I'm not, I'm just, I want to get their answer out. And it's important for me because if it wasn't, it would have waited until five o'clock in the afternoon. But I don't want people to be stewing all day on this, but I also don't have time to be, you know, and so I don't mean to do that to people, but it may seem that way at times. So you got to be careful. And I try to remember, okay, I've typed this up before I send it, go up, hit the space bar twice and then put their name in there and then go down at the bottom and say, have a nice day. And I, I don't always do that, but I intend to. Anyway. Um, such is an appropriate, pro, um, uh, to, uh, to Peter, I'm sorry, Galatians 2, 1 through 11. Peter was falling in sound doctrine, and Paul corrected him without demeaning him in any way. He spoke in love. Such an appro 
such an approach is proper so that those who hear may, as Paul says, this is his words, grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. This idea is contrasted to that of the previous verse. There he spoke of the state of believers as children, a term used in a negative way. Here he speaks of believers who are given the truth in love as those who grow up. There is to be a process where believers mature in order to become sound, effective members of the body. In doing so, they will be sound in all things into him who is the head, Christ. This is to be the goal of our Christian life, and so it is sad to see how few actually avail themselves of it. Such a large percentage of believers are content to live their lives in spiritual immaturity. Paul tells us that in order to be sound in Christ, we are to be mature in Christ. It is an exhortation which we ignore at our own peril. Without growth, we will be unprepared for what transpires when our trials doctrinal issues and false teachers come our way i got a life application and we're going to be done have you called on christ there's a lot you need to know don't get stuck on one subject and spend your whole christian life stuck in that box rather take in the whole counsel of god and pursue him and his word all your days be an effective member of the body of christ heavenly father we do thank you for this precious word you have given us Thank you for the lessons that we can learn from it if we're willing to. And Lord, help us to not be demeaning of others in our presentation of the truth and not to get overly excited, but to just try to counsel people properly so that they will come to the fullness of the knowledge of Christ. Help us to be responsible in this way and give us the patience to do that because it can be an impatient world that we're living in and tempers can flare over the smallest thing. So give us that grace, Lord. We sure need it most of the time. We pray for it. We ask it in Jesus' name, and we praise you. We glorify you, and we also do that in Jesus' name. Amen. You started off with the same message. What's that? Don't harass the non-believer. Don't harass. Yes, don't harass the non-believer. Absolutely. Okay. Um, I love to have people email me, and they will say that they wave goodbye to us. And so make sure that we wave goodbye to the folks out here. Break. Uh, did you have something to say? Yeah.